Welcome to the 151st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. It's been said that besides plowing, grazing has done more damage to prairies and other natural landscapes than just about any other agricultural activity. That's why it may be surprising to learn that in some Midwestern states, cattle are increasingly being used to improve natural grasslands and wildlife habitat on public and private lands. Conservation grazing, as it's called, is being embraced by private environmental organizations such as the Nature Conservancy and the Audubon Society, as well as government agencies like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. It turns out native prairies, other grass-based habitats, and even wetlands need a little disruption of growth patterns if they are to be healthy ecosystems, rather than scrubby patches of land covered by invasive species. In the past, bison and wildfires provided such disturbance. These days, public agencies and private conservation groups are fast realizing that buying up land and putting up nature preserve signs won't secure the long-term sustainability of that habitat. It needs active management the kind that toes the line between stressing the environment and allowing it to recover. Make no mistake, overgrazing caused by leaving uncontrolled livestock out on grasslands during an entire growing season can still do major damage to the land. But innovations in grass-based livestock production offer a prime opportunity to bring back the kind of beneficial flash disturbances that haven't been around since the time of the bison. Livestock producers utilizing managed rotational grazing are seeing the benefits of moving cattle frequently through numerous paddocks rather than keeping them on the same pasture all season long, where it becomes overgrazed. This system can extend the grass season, cut costs, and in general produce more profits. Advances in watering systems, lightweight movable electric fencing, and automatic gate openers have made rotational grazing even more viable. This type of grazing system fits well with what refuge managers are looking for, short-term impact of just a few days or weeks, and long-term rest of a year or more. When done right, Grazing natural areas can be a win-win. From the livestock producer's point of view, they get access to grass, something increasingly difficult as more pastures are plowed up for corn and soybean crops. From the conservationist side of the ledger, conservation grazing can provide a low-cost way of disturbing the landscape in a healthy way. A recent land stewardship project meeting in western Minnesota focused on the ways managed rotational grazing can promote more diversity on the landscape, providing environmental and economic benefits. After the meeting, I talked with natural resource and grazing experts about utilizing cattle to manage the landscape. First, I talked with Bruce Freshke, manager of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service's Morris Wetland District in western Minnesota. He described why disturbance is so important in maintaining prime wildlife habitat. Freshke also described the challenges of effectively implementing conservation grazing. The grasslands here in Minnesota are grasslands because of that past disturbance. In the past, it was wildfires and, and bison. And without, without those disturbances, there isn't a part of Minnesota that wouldn't be completely forested. So if we want to maintain the grassland habitat, then we need to have disturbance. And in the past, we mostly used just fire, but we found out that there's just places where fire is very hard to use just because we have neighbors or it's wet ground. And so we have to use grazing in those areas. And, and really, using the two tools together, we just get a lot better effect on keeping it in grass and, and not letting it grow into forest. You're in the Morris District here. Give me a little bit of a picture of what, how you're using grazing. I mean, how many areas are you roughly are you using on, or how many acres are you using uh, grazing on to manage land? Well, we have about 52,000 52, acres, and about 40,000 of that is probably dry enough to be grazed or, or hayed or, or burned. 
We have 246 waterfowl production areas totaling 52,000 acres. I would say we this past year we grazed about 5,000 acres on 50 different areas with uh, 35 different cooperators. There's many different species of wildlife and even an individual species of wildlife like ducks, they need different they have different habitat needs whether it's in migration or if there's young ducklings. Same with pheasants, um, young young small pheasants need insects to eat. And uh, so there are different heights of grass and plants that, that all these different species need at different times. Some species like it short most of the time. Some like it really tall and ranked to hide in from predators. And so when you graze an area and provide all these different heights, you're providing for the needs for a, a lot of different species or, or even one species to, to use these different habitat types. Definitely, I mean, we have areas that were you know, it looked like they were going to grow into forest where the, where the cattle have really set the trees back and the grasses have really come back in and moved into those areas. We also have wetland areas where the cattails and other wetland plants have become so dense and rank that really they weren't even getting very much use by waterfall, but we could get in there when it was dry and the cattle would get in there and open that up really good. And then we get rains and the waterfall really use those areas heavily. What are some of the biggest challenges with this? Uh, I know we had talked a little bit about some of those challenges. That uh, one is, I know, the access to cattle. Right. Well, in some some places we have, there's plenty of cooperators around, but then there's other counties where it's it's hard because there are no cattle left in the area, and they have to come in from a long ways. And so it is very uneasy. In some parts of our district, we see a lot of grazing going on. Some we don't, and it's not because we don't want to graze those areas. It's just the the, the cattle operators aren't there. The other constraint that, that's a really a big one is a lot of areas don't have any kind of permanent fences on them, and so it's a real project to get that fencing up. Or also some areas don't have a lot of good watering spots, and so it's a, it's a you know, real effort to get it grazed the way you want it grazed when you don't have the water where you need it. By law, you have to charge a grazing fee, but you, you're able to, when you were talking about the fencing and the water uh, infrastructure, you can uh, um, give a lot of breaks to farmers, to producers, to uh, uh, to kind of bring that fee down because if they're doing fencing, that type of thing. Right, exactly. We do have to charge a fee, but then again, there's a lot of things that we need to do for that grazing to happen the way we want it have it happen. And so the fences have to be installed. Sometimes temporary interior fences have to be installed. Cattle have to be moved. There may have to be some uh, watering points installed. They may graze one area and then have to haul their cattle to another area. And so we give them deductions for all that. And, you know, we're in the business of trying to do this for biological benefit, not to make money on it. And if all the deductions end up that we don't make any money on it, well, that's fine if we got the biological gain that that we wanted. Next, I chatted with Howard Mechning, who owns a grazing consulting firm called Midwest Grasslands. Mechning says using grazing to manage natural areas on both private and public lands can produce quick impacts depending on the practitioner's goals. And you had mentioned that you're in your job as a consultant, you're actually getting a lot more requests, it sounds like, in that area. Tell me a little bit about that. What what are inter- people interested in doing? And I mean, that's an interesting kind of new area in that in that whole realm of grazing. I guess it's the new kind of the new step in grazing that we're seeing. Well, some of that is, is coming from government agencies. But I'm surprised at how many private people who have native prairie remnants on their farm, and they recognize them for that. I'm surprised at how many of them want to do something with them to preserve them and to improve them. And it's just it's just incredible how they're coming out of the woodwork. And I've worked on a few of them here, and, and they're very interested. And it's very exciting work because you see such a change 
How would that grazing plan maybe be different than one you'd be setting up for somebody who's a dairy producer who just wants to get as much production as they can? Right. Well, it wouldn't be production-based at all. It would be based upon the timing of the grazing, the intensity, the duration, and what season of the year it is to get the effect you want on the plant community because sometimes animal impact will have a beneficial effect on plants, certain plants, or it could have a detrimental effect on certain plants. And whether you want the plant around or not, or whether if you really want the plant around, you want to go for something that will have a good impact on those plants. And if you have plants there you really dislike, you want to do something that that will be very detrimental to them. And so it's it's fun for me to, to know what these livestock will do when put into a situation like that. And it's kind of a, I feel it's kind of a gift I've got to be able to predict that pretty well. It must be kind of fun to see maybe a change in mindset in that I think a lot of people, let's say they've got some land that they want to see quote-unquote natural, the last thing they want they would think about doing is putting cattle on there. It sounds like there's been a little bit of change in mindset over the years in that. There's a lot of change in mindset in that, and, and it is uh, it is surprising to some of them that we should put cattle in, or maybe sheep, or maybe goats. But you know, a number of the people I've worked with have been farmers anyway, and so it's not real surprising to them, but they are taken aback sometimes by not using sprays or chemical means of control instead of just going right to the to the livestock. And in my experience, livestock can control some of these species much better than chemicals can. Jeff Duchesne, a grazing specialist with the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service in Minnesota, helps set up grazing management plans for refuges and other natural areas. He says the key is to develop plans that strike a balance between a farmer's desire for low-cost forage and a natural resource manager's goal of protecting and improving the land's ecological health. One thing, you know, you look at uh, with managing, you know, some of these public lands or wildlife lands or conservation lands, whatever you want to call them, is the land managers have their set of goals. And, you know, for simplicity's sake, I'll lump those into two main categories. I would say they're usually looking at something with the plant community, improving that or maintaining that, uh, or wildlife habitat. So those are their kind of main goals course from the livestock producer standpoint their main goal is to economically produce livestock and there there can be some overlap there you know with the from the public land standpoint they can use cattle to manage their grasslands and that can provide feed for the livestock now it may not work in every case but i think there's some real opportunities there where it could work and so one of the things i've done um, is I've worked with these different public land agencies or or conservation land agencies like the DNR, Fish and Wildlife Service, and help them look at what their goals are and identify what a livestock producer has to offer and try and mesh each one of their goals together into a plan that could benefit both the conservation land uh, and also the livestock producer. That's why, I mean, I think a lot of communication and and working on these types of grazing opportunities is key where you can everyone kind of gets out what their objectives are and what their needs are and so we can try and create a balance if if possible my my background i guess is in ecology and 
I'm really interested in kind of the natural history of this area, kind of western Minnesota and the prairie areas. And this was a really a disturbance-heavy environment prior to, you know, European settlement, both with fire grazing, climatic disturbance like droughts and heavy rainfall and things like that. But one thing that we've done is... We've kind of taken away a lot of the major disturbances outside of climate. So we, we've reduced fire and grazing, and we've seen kind of a degradation in, in the quality of the native grasslands. And so that's one thing I look at when I put a plan together is trying to come at it from an ecological standpoint. And, and really a lot of these lands just plain need more disturbance to bring back the the quality of the grassland and I I believe that with that you're you're also going to you're not only going to benefit the plant community but also all the things that depend on that plant community uh you know insects wildlife you know the grassland birds you know songbirds ducks pheasants all those things are going to benefit with the with a healthier landscape and healthier plant community now that's it's kind of easier said than done, uh, you know, especially when you're working with, with uh, public land because everybody has their own perception of what how that land should be managed, and that's a huge challenge. But it's also a big opportunity, I think. It's, it's a challenge because in a lot of cases, I don't think people fully realize uh, the ecology of the area but it's also a huge opportunity for education and why we do land management, whether it's fire or grazing. In some cases, maybe it's haying or brush control, all those things. And I think uh, when we get questions like these about, well, why are you grazing or why are you burning? I think there's an excellent opportunity for education and say, you know, okay, here's what we did here. Now let's come back in a year or two and have a look at that again. Then you can educate everybody, and I think it'll make a, get a lot more general understanding with the public. And no matter what kind of management you do, you're, there's always a trade-off. You're always benefiting. You now, let, let's take uh, wildlife as an example. Whenever you burn, graze, or on the other side, do nothing and leave it idle, you're always benefiting uh, a certain set of species at the expense of others. You know, and we have a pretty good handle on on what, say, like a grassland, the various species of grassland birds like. I mean, there's some that like extremely overgrazed areas. There's some that like uh, undisturbed rank vegetation, and there's a a lot that likes something in between that, from lightly grazed to moderately grazed. And there are some species that like all three of those things across their life cycle. And so I think uh, diversity in the landscape is, is key as well. For more information on using conservation grazing to improve natural areas, see the number 1 2014 Land Stewardship Letter at www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members. 
that make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.